want to um, begin this morning with just a little bit of review, but we are going to be in Luke chapter 20 this morning. So Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 20, if you want to look that up while I'm giving a little review. Um, as you'll recall, our series in Luke, we've been uh, studying Luke for, it seems like, maybe a couple years now. We're getting towards the end. Um, Praise God that he has been teaching us so much about Jesus and his love. And um, as we think about what Jesus was doing for three years of his ministry, was going around proclaiming and demonstrating the love of the kingdom of God. And so even as we heard Chess praying and as we heard Vic reading and praying, filled with um, good emotion, a recognition of a good, good God. That's what Jesus has been doing amongst the people, and he's made his way to Jerusalem. And so last week, for a couple weeks, it's actually all been the Tuesday of the Passion Week is what we've been preaching from these last few weeks. So Tuesday has included Jesus coming in and um, prophetically clearing the temple, demonstrating his authority, He's been teaching with authority that um, was challenged, and it's like, who is this man that has come in and is teaching with this kind of authority? It's been challenged. And so last week, Pastor Dave brought a sermon where it had built and built, the tension had built and built. Jesus kept calling and calling them, follow me, follow me, believe the kingdom of God is here. It's in your midst. And anyway, last week, There was the parable where Jesus spoke of judgment against those who would not follow him, would not recognize him as the stone that the builders rejected. He would become the cornerstone. And for those that didn't fall in brokenness in recognition of who he was, it would be that a stone would fall and crush them. And so this picture is a picture of a stone, a big stone that fell. And you can't really see it on the projection so well, but I've got a couple arrows there. Sometimes they put some steel rods in the mountain and in the stone, and they put some netting across. Nothing is going to keep that stone from falling when it's ready. And I'm telling you, and Jesus told them, if you aren't following, this is the time of decision, you will be crushed. A prophetic message that angered the teachers so much they were immediately ready to arrest him. You remember that? They were ready to arrest him. And that's where we come to our text for today. And as a reference for how we listen to this scripture from Luke, I want to read these passages from the Old Testament because this would have been, as Jesus walked into this situation sometime Tuesday late morning, early afternoon, These scriptures might likely have been on his mind. From Proverbs 10, verse 31, From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. And then from Ecclesiastes, it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Okay. Jesus might be meditating on wisdom, even asking the Lord for wisdom, 
as he steps into this situation, which we'll pick up now from Luke 20, starting with verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, which is referring to the teachers of the law and the chief priest, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He, Jesus, saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished, By his answer, they became silent. This is God's word. Now, as I was reflecting on this passage and this situation where there was a trap set for Jesus, I happened last week to read some news about the NCAA. And it made me start thinking about what the governor of North Carolina would be feeling and thinking right now. And so, in case you're not familiar with what has happened down in North Carolina, the NCAA, the headlines, um, USA Today, ESPN News, lots of different headlines had this story about the NCAA turning up pressure on North Carolina over their bathroom law. Now, if you're not familiar with what their bathroom law is, Their bathroom law is um, a law that they put in place to protect women and children and their privacy when they go to the bathroom. And so they have made it law that whatever your birth certificate says that your gender is, that's where you may go to the bathroom in North Carolina. Men may not go in the women's. Women's may not go in the men. If your birth certificate says you're a male, you go to that bathroom. So that's what the North Carolina law says. And the NCAA canceled seven huge championship games that were scheduled to be held in North Carolina in the next year because they opposed that law. They feel like that that is not being respectful to those who have um, transgender and gender questions about their identity. And so the NCAA canceled this. All right, we're thinking about how does it feel and what is the governor thinking about this. The governor is running for re-election in a hotly contested race. It's just weeks before their election, and here comes this judgment from the NCAA. It's estimated to cost the state of North Carolina over $20 million dollars. All right, so there's pressure from businesses, there's pressure from cities that are losing this revenue because of this ruling. 
he needs to speak something, or does he? Should he comment or shouldn't he? Because whatever he says, it's kind of like a trap, right? He, whatever he says, and he's got both houses of his government, they say, are veto-proof. Those lawmakers are absolutely um, firm on defending their law and feel like the government, the federal government, has made an overreach. And so if he breaks rank with his other political um, colleagues, that's, that's a hard situation too, right? And so the governor, what does he say? Does he have any wisdom? Other people that are running campaigns are not available for comment. But he did speak, and he said, I wish, basically, I'm paraphrasing this, I wish you wouldn't treat us like um, international enemies where you're putting up sanctions, business sanctions against us, would you let the law run its course? Because this will be determined. The privacy and the issues around gender will be determined in the court system. Would you please respect our students and the process while not only our state but 22 other states try to figure this out? This was his wisdom. And I tell you, after reading some of the other comments that different people made that were so inflammatory, I felt like the Lord did give this governor, wisdom to speak. But this governor, what's at risk for him? His political office and re-election. What was at risk for Jesus in this situation? This might be a Jerusalem News headline. Jesus, the popular favorite, comes to town and the spies turn up pressure on Jesus over the Roman tax. Well, what kind of situation did Jesus walk into? Well, what he walked into is that Jerusalem, the Israelites, were self-governing, and yet they also were under the Roman rule. And so they actually were trying to serve two governments, so to speak, their religious system and then also a political system of the Roman Empire. Jesus was very popular with the people. The people disliked the taxation. There was 40% taxation rate. That's approximately 40%. That's high. All right? They disliked having a foreign rule. They viewed themselves as God's people, and they wanted to be autonomous. And yet this was being imposed on them. And so these spies, they recognize this is a cultural, a hot topic in the culture right now. We think we can trap him. We think we can snag Jesus on this one. Because if he says anything against the Roman taxation, he'll be, um, he'll be charged with treason and he'll um, look at the death penalty. All right? The people don't like the taxation. And so if Jesus says keep going with the taxation, then the people, what are they going to think? And so they think they've got him. They think they've got him, and they've set this trap. And it's really going to look good for the Jewish leaders because they're anticipating that Rome would do the dirty work of killing Jesus, that it would get rid of their problem because Jesus was threatening their, um, their functioning as the leadership of the Jewish people. And they would gain favor in the Romans' eyes if they did something that looked like they were um, bowing to the authority of the Romans by 
telling on this person that they expected was going to say something against the Roman rule. Are you following? Can you sense the, the charge and the, the um, tension that he's stepping into when they set this trap? And this is a picture of a bear trap. And I'm going to um, use a few references to trapping. And um, I don't want just my disclaimer, no animal rights. Don't get upset. But I'm just trying to help you visualize and understand what, what Jesus is stepping into because they set out a trap for Jesus. And that word trap means to seize and not let go, to lay hold of, to catch like a hunter. They're wanting to hunt Jesus down and kill him. They're spiritually blind. They think they are doing the right thing for God. They believe that they're acting on God's behalf to protect against Jesus, this false teacher who seems to be somehow not saying anything that they can catch him in, but there's just something going on that they feel like is not right. And so they're actually spiritually blind because of their sin, because they haven't followed God's law. They've started to add to it and and construe what a religion would look like that's that's worshiping God, and yet it's it's become twisted. And the more it twists, and the more it's not fully true, and it's diluted and polluted, their their vision and their sense of right and wrong is getting more. They're getting more and more blind. There's no neutral zone in this cosmic conflict. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness, and You're either for me, Jesus says, or you're against me. There's no neutral. And so any action that they take is either promoting the kingdom of God or it's distracting and pushing against the kingdom of God. These people hate Jesus. And right now they're functioning as they try to trap Jesus. They're functioning as a conduit of the kingdom of darkness. They're functioning for evil, and they're using this cultural context to try to trap Jesus. Tactics of evil. I want to point this out to you. A few things that we can recognize from these tactics of these spies. First of all, it's secret. If anything is secret and starting to happen, it's the meeting after the meeting. It's the closed-door session that not everybody's privy to. Pay attention. That's a tactic of evil. Evil loves darkness. It doesn't like to come to the light. There's pretense. They're pretending to be something they're not. They're saying words that are true enough that God, Jesus, is speaking truth. And yet they're lying through their lips because they don't believe that. It's a pretense. And there's flattery. They're saying, oh, we know that you speak truth. When when there's flattery, It's like baiting the trap. And when I thought about the little children's stories about the honey bear and the pot of honey, and sometimes the bear sticks its head in there, and then it gets trapped because it's trying to get the honey. And so when those sweet, dripping words of flattery come, watch out. Watch out. It may be a tactic of the enemy. There's lies being spoken, and there's this set-up question. They set him up. 
It's either or. Should they pay taxes or not? It's an either or. And whenever they set this up, that is a time when um, there is a great problem. And so um, I'm going to need you to advance the slide I lost. Oh, my connection came back on. So tactics of evil. I've run those through a little bit for you, Mark. I might need your help. All right, advance to the next slide, please. Because people hate Jesus and resist his lordship, they will also hate Christians. Go back. Somehow we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here. Because people hate Jesus and resist his lordship, they will also hate Christians. Be aware when you're being watched carefully. If you're standing for light and all of a sudden people start having meetings that you're not invited to, or conversations where they stop talking when you step up, just pay attention. Just be aware. Just notice. Notice when people might come to you and start saying drippingly sweet things that are going way over the top and buttering you up. You know what brown nosing is, right? Just this flattery, this flattery, sickening flattery. Um, But it appeals to our pride, doesn't it? And so it can be a trap. Watch out. And then watch out for this setup question. Watch out for something where people say, well, you know, you do agree with this, right? And they give you this either or and kind of um, challenge you. They kind of put you in a, a difficult situation where you're having to respond to something that you really would prefer to not put in that kind of um, framework. And so if the enemy is trying to trap you, it might be cultural traps. And so I want to talk about a few of these. And um, some of the culture that we find ourselves here in West Michigan and North America is a postmodern culture. And so in a postmodern culture where um, anything goes and everything is kind of relative, suppose you're in a mom's group and you go for a play date. And so every, all the moms are putting their kids and kind of getting them situated and you bring out your um, book bag and give your kids the um, Jesus Bible story book. And everybody's kind of talking, and then they look, and they go. And then the leader says, you know, you and your husband are really great people, but you're not going to push that stuff on your kids, are you? Can you start to feel the tension? Can you start to feel the trap? Or what about in this culture of relativism, And let's say that you've been building a relationship with some people in your humanities class at college. And it's a required course. You have to take this humanities class to um, graduate. So you're in it, and you're just trying to get it done and get it through. But it's got a real liberal agenda slant, and it's going against your personal values. But you're just trying to 
bide your time, go to class faithfully, and get it done. And then you sit for the big final exam, and it's just one question. It's an essay question. Is it wrong to be inclusive? And the professor asks you to cite from five of the required liberal readings that um, were, were um, on the syllabus that you were required to read, and you're supposed to cite from those five articles, at least five articles, to support your answer to the question, is it wrong to be inclusive? Can you start to feel the tension as you imagine yourself sitting at the desk taking that essay exam? We're in a culture of rights. Everybody's got their rights, and they are trying to make sure everybody else knows that they have their rights. And you work in HR, and you um, like your job, and you've got some coworkers, and um, there's a position that's coming open, and you're hoping to get a promotion. And so there's a lunch meeting, and your boss takes you and your other coworker, who's really been asking you a lot of questions about your life, paying attention, um, seems real interested, always uh, very um, super sweet and nice to you. And anyway, and so you're sitting, and lunch is kind of winding down, and then um, your coworker puts you on the spot and asks this question in front of your boss. And he asks, do you have any issues with the Affordable Health Care Act? I mean, do you agree with Hobby Lobby's health care policies? And if you don't know what Hobby Lobby's health care policies, um, privately owned, Christian-based company who said, we um, do not feel comfortable, it would violate our religious beliefs to offer our employees, our female employees, the kind of reproductive contraceptives that would allow for an embryo, to um, a, a life to form, and then to be discarded by several of these um, contraceptive methods. And so that ruling was challenged. But here you get put on the spot. It's five minutes till you have to be back at work. How are you going to answer? And your boss is listening, and you want that promotion, but you know that the, um, some of the company leans quite liberal. And there you are thinking, I can't give a nuanced answer to this. What do I say in five minutes? We live in a political culture, and this, this um, I've had a hard time maybe developing it as much as I could, but I sensed as I thought about how does this scripture, how would the enemy try to put Christians in a trap? And I feel like we live in this political culture that um, has no filters anymore. And rather than having platforms, it just um, is slinging mud. And rather than having platforms, it's, have, it, it's like there's no positions anymore. It's just against the other. And here you are in your small group, and the topic of politics comes up. And there's an election coming up, and you're listening, and everybody's slamming everybody, and yet you recognize that the one that they seem to be slamming the most is the, um, the candidate that you would be personally in favor of. And it's really concerning. And then all of a sudden they say, well, you are going to vote for so-and-so, aren't you? And you had hoped to maybe be getting into the political office just locally because you're concerned about what's happening in government. 
And yet these people that are saying, well, you would vote for this one, the one that you kind of actually wouldn't vote for, they're the best resource people you know. And so if you're going to possibly go into, um, you know, some position in the city or in the state, you would need resources. Do you feel the trap? Do you feel the pressure? What are you going to say in that moment? What is wisdom? How do you answer a post-enlightenment culture, a culture that says it has to be scientifically proven, and if we can't see it, we don't believe it. We live in a post-enlightenment culture. And so what is it like for those that went down to um, this training in North Carolina where they learned about the healing ministry of Jesus, the delivering work of Jesus, casting out demons, setting people free, and maybe their family or maybe their um, small group or their neighbors have been waiting for them to get back, and they're like, man, you were really devoted. That's awesome that you would go all the way. You went for a whole week to study? Wow, we can't wait to hear. Tell us about that. And so you, what are you going to say? How are you going to say it? What would wisdom look like? Or maybe you've been praying for affordable housing and you've been um, asking the Lord to bring an opportunity for either a job or reasonable housing and your neighbors go, what are you praying for? Well, this is kind of a deist culture, a cultural deism, a view that America actually was established on, which God created the earth, but then seems to be kind of distant. And so they don't really think, like, that's why we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and work hard. And so can't you get it together? Why are you praying? Why are you praying? And your neighbors ask you that. Can you feel the tension? How are you going to answer a culture that doesn't believe these things? We, too, just like Jesus was opposed by people who thought they were speaking truth, we, too, may be opposed by people who actually are just spiritually blind. Remember, there's no neutral zone in the kingdom conflict. And so if people have resisted the lordship of Jesus, if they have not accepted that Jesus is king and there's a truth, an absolute truth that we must live by, They start to get blinded. They can't see well, and they may even oppose. Even your friends, even your family may oppose your worldview. What are we going to do? Well, there is so much good news in this passage, in this story, because they were unable to trap him, Jesus, in what he said there in public. And so the good news is that... Jesus, in his love, kept persevering. Jesus was tempted in every way. Even as you maybe heard those five or six scenarios, you thought, man, this is tough. This is tough stuff. I'm I'm glad I'm not facing anything like that right now, and I sure hope I don't in the future. Jesus was facing the pushback every step of the way to Jerusalem. He was facing this pressure, coming against him, coming against him, and he could have thrown up his hands and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. But he didn't. Why? He stayed engaged because love perseveres. Love never fails. He doesn't give up on us. He's coming to save a people. And so his love kept him in the game. It had been a rough week, and yet he kept, kept going. 
because this was a public trap, and so therefore it was an opportunity for God to get public glory. And so Jesus persevered, and he somehow, the Lord, helped him avoid the trap. How did he do it? It would have been that the word of God and the spirit of God, remember he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and so empowered by the spirit, Jesus was given grace to avoid the trap. We see fruit of the spirit and gifts of the spirit demonstrated here. He had self-control. He had humility. He didn't fall for the flattery. He had the ability to see or perceive their duplicity, which that would be the gift of distinguishing of spirits, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he had words to speak that were a message of wisdom from on high. Remember that scripture that said that the wisdom comes from on high. And so a gift of the Holy Spirit, there was grace given to Jesus to avoid the trap that was set for him. And what was this message of wisdom? He says, show me a denarius, show me this coin. Whose image and inscription are on it? And they say it's Caesar's. And the wisdom was, he said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to what is God to God, or and to God what is God's. So Jesus says, give what bears the image of Caesar to Caesar, and give what bears the image of God to God. Jesus is giving grace to avoid the trap of the either-or question. Remember, they said, should we or should we not? And he says, yes, both and. And he lets them reflect on, well, what does God deserve? What is God's in this earth? There's a cosmic battle, and Jesus makes them aware of it and invites them into that. What would be God's? There's so much wisdom. This inscription on that would say um, something about the divine Tiberius Augustus, Caesar Augustus. There was so much wisdom and so much self-control that Jesus didn't go on a rant about the blasphemy of what was on that coin. He had self-control, and he only said what the Lord wanted said so that he could stay out of the trap and walk right through it. A message of wisdom. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The wisdom of God, we see that the chaos doesn't break out, that actually he doesn't offend the Romans because, remember, he came to save some of them too. Jesus came to save people from all the tribes and the nations. And so... He gives a considerate answer, and the good fruit is that the kingdom of God keeps moving on. He doesn't step into the trap. And so just as Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and empowered, God gives us grace as his followers. We see this model of Jesus, and we say Jesus modeled for us that if Jesus could walk out of traps, we can walk out of traps too. We don't have to get in there. And so that little, that guy there is a picture, a frame of you. I hope it's a selfie. Like, you know those, when you hold a frame? Like, can you see yourself receiving grace to be able to walk out of a trap? Can you see that God would help you to have self-control? When you're in a situation, 
you can stop and think a minute. You don't have to just say the first thing that starts coming out of your mouth. Have self-control and be quick to listen. Have humility. The Lord would empower us with humility so that we wouldn't fall the trap of flattery. The Lord would give us the gift of distinguishing of spirits. We can tell, is this person speaking out of the flesh or is this the Holy Spirit in that person? And they're really eager to learn and they want to learn and so we should teach right now. Or is this something that we should just give a little bit of salt to and hopefully they'll have more questions later? The Lord will give us messages of wisdom. God gives wisdom for every conversation. I want to go back to those little scenarios that I laid out. What would it look like for God to empower you with a message of wisdom as a parent? Maybe you very non-defensively just say, well, we teach our, we read from the Jesus Story Bible to our children because actually science has shown that children are, these first years are very formational. So it's a lie to think that maybe as they age, then that they would have a better chance of evaluating things. If they aren't exposed to spiritual matters soon, actually it'll be harder for them. And so it's a lie to think that it would be better to wait and let them decide for themselves later. They may not actually have a chance at all then. Maybe the Lord gives you wisdom so that as you sit down to write that exam, the Lord helps you to say something like this, this is what was taught in the class, and this is how that argument would be supported. I, however, feel blah, 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 blah. And you lay out your values in that, but yet you're respectful, and you're not dissing it, but you're coming alongside and saying, this is what was taught, and this is what I believe. Maybe that would be a way that you would be given a message of wisdom. What would it look like in the conversation, in the, poli- in the political conversation? Your small group's there. You're thinking they could be people that could fund my campaign, my future campaign. Might it be that the Lord would give you the grace to be able to talk about your values rather than coming against one or the other, but you would say, I believe character is really an important thing, integrity. I believe that I would... You know, I'm not going to say who I'm going to vote for. I believe that that's um, my right to be private about that. But I do want to say that I would look for the character of the candidate. I would look for somebody that would stand for sanctity of life. I think it's very important that we show hospitality to foreigners because I go to Bible study, and that's what I read in my book, in my Bible, that God shows hospitality to foreigners. So you might be able to speak forth some of the things that actually you could start laying your platform without offending anybody else by speaking a message of wisdom. The Holy Spirit helps guide us out of these trappy kind of situations where the enemy would like to use other people to put you in a trap while the world's watching. You've got a chance to stand up and let your light shine. And so in that conversation where it's closing up from lunchtime at the coworkers, you might say, I would love to write you an email, and I'll copy you too, boss so-and-so. And I'd like to just explain a little bit about how I see public policy, privately held companies, health benefits, 
And it might give you the opportunity to shine because you have the big picture and you're honoring people, but you also hold some values. Maybe the Lord would give you wisdom so that when your neighbor asks you, why are you praying about affordable housing? Maybe the Lord gives you a message of wisdom to be able to say, I've I've seen that when people at church pray, the Lord answers. And so I believe that God, who I love and worship, cares about me. And I believe he cares about you too. And it may be that the Lord gives you an opportunity to evangelize and share the gospel, even as you give an answer. This bottom picture is a picture of the class down in North Carolina and an exercise that was going on in um, Vic and Victoria are in that picture. The paparazzi was there, and they sent me a picture. I don't know how I got that. But anyway, so what are you going to say? What are you going to say when people ask you about your experience and what you learned? The Holy Spirit's going to give wisdom to share about biblical truths in a way that's not offensive, that's not scary or creepy, but actually is going to just be very inviting to see that actually what the Bible teaches is true today. And so the Lord gives wisdom for every conversation. I found this quote from a Scottish missionary, and she wrote in her Bible, these were notes handwritten in her Bible that they, um, they typed up, Good is good, but it is not enough. It must be God. A Scottish missionary went to Africa, a woman in the 1800s. Don't you know she needed wisdom? If she's on the front lines of evangelism, she needs all kinds of wisdom. There are going to be all kinds of cultural traps. And you know what? She said, good words And something, from my good knowledge, isn't going to be enough. It must be God. And so this is what Jesus had. He didn't come with just good words. He came with God's word. He came with wisdom. He said, then give to God what is God's. And I'm telling you, friends, the biggest deal isn't that he got out of that trap, although it was God's sovereignty that he did because there was a mission to carry on. I think the biggest, boldest thing was that he kept pointing people to the kingdom. He had the courage in a situation where it was life or death to, again, mercifully call for them to give to God what is God's. And as I prayed for each of us, I prayed, Lord, would you fill us with so much boldness and so much courage and so much love, just like Jesus had love to go to the cross, to save those that were lost, would you give us that kind of um, heart for people that we would be filled and we would be relying on the Lord saying, give me messages of wisdom to speak into this culture today so that some will be saved. Let's pray.